Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution, code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story this week on our... <laughs> I almost said this week on our panel. I'm, I'm in Ruby Rogues mode. Uh, this <laughs> week, we're talking to Rob Miller. Rob, you were on episode 235, came out November 25th, 2015. Yeah, we talked about processing textual data, which I think was based on a book that you wrote. It was indeed, yeah. Uh, it came out in 2014, 2015, published by Pragmatic. And yeah, I was talking all about that. Awesome. Well, it looks like you've done a bit in Ruby. Let's go ahead and dive in and get your story. Find out where you came from. Go ahead. All right. Well, how did you get into programming? So I'm totally self-taught. I don't come from a kind of computer science background or anything like that. And like, I guess, like many people um, back in the day in my early teens, so back in the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, I uh, wanted to make websites about things that interested me. Uh, and so I got into HTML and CSS and it was that kind of glory period of GeoCities with scrolling marquees and blink tags and animated GIFs and the sort of horrifyingly ugly landscape of the web as it was back then. But nobody knew any better and everyone just got stuck in. Everyone was an amateur uh, and so was I. And I loved it. I, I thought it was such a creative medium and with infinite possibilities and I just made fun and interesting things on the web and then from there I got into wanting to do more than just HTML and CSS stuff and I, I actually got into PHP because back in the early 2000s that was what most people <laughs> most people uh, did on the web uh, and yeah just it all snowballed from there there was no design no intention no uh thought behind it. It was just a complete hobby and something that I really enjoyed from that perspective. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember the good old GeoCities days. I mean, I, um, <laughs> I, I'm sort of really sad, but also kind of relieved that GeoCities disappeared and with it, all the stuff that I worked on. Because, you know, part of me would love to see it again, but part of me is glad that nobody will ever see it <laughs> Yeah, I, I've heard that. I've heard that from podcasters too. Oh, you know, nobody, nobody can go back and listen to my old stuff. Or sometimes they can, but I think it's a testament too to just how far we've come. Right? So many of these things that we thought were great ideas that we put on GeoCities. I was in high school playing with GeoCities, and uh, yeah, you know, it, it's just kind of the way that we came into this. Hmm. And I think you know, if I if I were to get hold of some of the code, I would cringe but i also look back and i think i was totally unencumbered by any kind of sense of doing things the right way or you know using the correct design or things like that and and i'm i'm much better for knowing those things and thinking about those things but 
I think about how insanely productive I was. I just used to churn things out and, and produce things. And I think there's a balance there as well that I'm always trying to reach that balance between churning out unmaintainable crud <laughs> that <laughs> you'll never be able to look at again yeah. and being slightly kind of paralyzed by a desire to do things the right way. There's something about that naive approach that is uh, still good to channel sometimes. Yep, absolutely. I think it's also just speaks to the the idea that we could just get in and do HTML and JavaScript. And it was really simple JavaScript. And we didn't have to worry about, oh, well, I want to build a page. Do I do it with WordPress? Or do I do it with Gatsby and React? Or do I, you know, Vue.js? Or yeah, I, what build system? Server side? Or, yeah. yeah. What module system? How do I import things? And yeah, just totally unencumbered by any of that. You You wrote some stuff in a file and you FTP'd it somewhere and it was just that was it that was done yep or you just uh, edited it on the web yeah, exactly yeah. I've become a curmudgeonly old back in the, my day things were so much simpler <laughs> but yep. you know I think they were <laughs> yeah they really were so how did you get into Ruby then so I became aware of Ruby like I, I guess most most people outside Japan and outside a, a few a few small people. I became aware of Ruby when Rails started to take off. So it mm -hmm. kind of entered my consciousness in about 2005 when DHH's blog in 60 minutes tutorial video was doing the rounds. And when he did that as a, a kind of conference talk and it kind of blew my mind. I thought, wow, this is crazily productive. It looks, you know, the syntax is amazing. This looks just really friendly and, and lovely. And I stuck uh, you know, I, I was still doing mostly PHP for a few years after that, but probably by about 2009, 2010, I was fully, fully in love with Ruby and, and fully immersed in it. That's great. Now, what, what was it about Ruby that you really liked? Uh, so I feel like the language itself, naturally. So, so it had a, compared to the languages I was used to, it had an amazing standard library, gems just made installing third-party code. It's so, so easy. And, you know, all of the syntactical stuff that makes it really friendly, that emphasis on developer happiness through to, you know, really nitty, nitty gritty details like, you know, blocks uh, blew my mind. I just thought they were amazing and uh, the innumerable modules and all the things you can do with that. But more than that, I think it was the community. I know it's a bit of a cliche to say that about Ruby, but it's absolutely true that just the most welcoming, amazing community. I feel like I was lucky enough to see you know, when I was first dabbling in 2005, six, the, the tail end of that kind of Ruby talk mailing list and people like Aira T. Howard and James yeah. O'Gray and, and people like that who were just amazing ambassadors for Ruby as a language and, and so patient and helpful. And these were, you know, these, you know, still are, they're still around. <laughs> I'm speaking about them in the past, but, you know, genius people with fantastic talent who would take the time to help out even the most newbie person. And yep. it just felt like a, a wonderful world that was n unlike most other places on the on the internet. And it just seemed, yeah, like amazingly cool kind of community that was really welcoming and that I wanted to be a part of, I guess. That makes a lot of sense. And that was part of what drew me in as well, where there were just people that I identified with that I could spend time with. And yeah, they would help me out. I mean, on dumb stuff. You know, I, I've told the story before about sitting down next to Jim Wyrick at a conference and I didn't know who he was and, you know, asking him about testing techniques and he's explaining mocking and stubbing and the guy freaking wrote Flexmock. 
<laughs> yeah. and, you know, and so it's like, yeah, he, he gets it right. But I didn't know that. He was totally happy to help out. And um, you just can't yeah. imagine anyone in the Ruby community saying, don't you know who I am? You know, I, yeah. I'm a big deal. It's, it's just totally humble and, and helpful and lovely. Yeah. And the other thing is, is I think a lot of the, the ethos of this podcast initially was came out of a lot of the people that you mentioned and their willingness to share. And so, mm. yeah, awesome. you know, there, there's a lot there. And I, I just, it takes me back to that time period as well, uh, when things were growing and moving in the Ruby community. So I, I am kind of curious and I want to dig in on some of this stuff. Let's start with your book. What What made you want to write a book about processing text with Ruby? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like the most exciting subject in the world. Um, I guess it was just... <laughs> <laughs> It was just, so I had first encountered Ruby through Rails, and I think that's true of vast majority of people yeah. who end up using Ruby. So Ruby has been pigeonholed as a kind of a language for the web, a language for, for building web applications. And of course, it is amazing at doing that, and, and Rails is amazing. But you know, Ruby has its origins, and what I ended up using Ruby for uh, much more often was stuff on the command line, stuff to process data, automating things, writing quick one-off scripts, writing command line applications, just because of where my kind of career and my interests had gone. That's what I was doing a lot more of. And I felt like that was a, a, a strangely underappreciated aspect of Ruby. You know, something that Ruby was famous for in its, in its early days when everyone thought about it as a kind of competitor to Perl and a general purpose programming language. But as, as Rails had taken off and it, it became so famous for the for being a web language, maybe people had neglected or weren't aware of its its ability to be an incredible language for processing data and, and especially kind of data that's in text format. So for me, that's so much of what I do, like data that exists on the web in, in unstructured formats or it's in CSV files and needs to be bashed into shape and, and reformatted or restructured or filtered or processed in some way. Um, and just Ruby is wonderfully productive for those kind of tasks, which are, it's quite difficult to make those tasks fun, but Ruby manages it like it, like it does with lots of tasks. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And what we're talking about here, it, it's funny because people kind of like, well, text, you know, text wrangling with, with Ruby, but uh, it's the foundation for all the other stuff that we use it for, really. You know, yeah, Rails. totally. I mean, what is the web apart from yep. text being transferred across HTTP? Exactly. No, it's, uh, it, we are, as humans, we're linguistic animals. Like that's the, that's the thing that makes us what we are. We produce language and words and text and lots of it. Um, and we're really bad at storing things in computer readable formats and, and machine readable structured uh, formats. So being able to process stuff that's loose and textual is really, uh, really useful. It's a, a killer skill to have, whether you're a full-time developer or whether you're just someone who uses computers as a tool for their job, which is, you know, everyone these days. Yeah. Well, the other, I mean, the other uses that we see Ruby go through, like DevOps, you know, a lot of chef stuff, a lot of yeah. um, the, the stuff that you, even Capistrano, if, if, if you're just using that for your deployments. I mean, it has to build commands and send them to the machine. It's got to build config files. And all of that stuff is still, you know, kind of foundational to that. 
And yeah. Yeah, yeah, the DevOps stuff is so relevant. You know, like when something's gone wrong wrong on a server, where do you look? You look to log files and things yeah. like that. They're text files. How do you search through them? How do you start building up a picture of what's going on? Having those tools is is really useful, and Ruby is fantastic. Yep, hundred percent. Are there other things that you've done with Ruby that you're excited about or proud of? <laughs> um, I'm not not sure. I, that, that's the only thing that anyone would would potentially know me for. I think uh, in my own life, I've done tons of stuff. You know, I I do lots of web applications and and services and tools and things like that. But yeah, it's that that command line stuff that I've been able to get some moderate amount of fame for I guess mm -hmm. it's all relative that makes sense it's it's interesting when I ask this question though because some people they're like well I worked on this product for a company that I worked for and, and other people they they have some open source library that nobody's ever heard of and so it's always <laughs> interesting to see oh okay you know I, I wrote this book but the thing I'm really excited about is this other thing that I did and so I, I like to just see where your mind goes when I ask that question yeah uh, interesting uh, what are you working on now? So yeah, I guess I kind of hinted at it in in uh, talking about the book. You know, I I haven't been a full time software developer for a few years now, um, and I actually work in branding and marketing and and um, ooh the dark side. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the businessy side. I I don't wear a suit though, thankfully. So I'm not one of those pointy head bosses in suits. <laughs> nice. um, but yeah, like despite not being a developer and not needing those skills for my job, I still find myself programming almost every day. I write little scripts. I'm using the command line. And that's because so much of the world now is, is data oriented. It's about generating useful insights and validating hunches and, and using data to do that. And, you know, I work in a world where there isn't much data available. So we work with kind of food companies that are sold in supermarkets and things, and they don't have access to data about their sales. They don't have access to, to any kind of information. So they have to make do with other things, try and find insights wherever they can, glean them from, from places that, that don't necessarily provide them openly and, and, and in a, a format that's easy to consume. So for me, it's like a, having a secret power, being able to do those things, you know, spider a website and figure out you know, what products are on it and the, the pricing structure of, of products. And that lets you understand a, a category of products and, and what the landscape's like. Um, mm -hmm. You can do that. It, it's a superpower that other people don't have because most people who are working in, in non-programming jobs have, don't have those skills. So that's a thing that I, you know, I deliberately kind of pitched the book that I wrote as as a beginner's book for exactly that reason because i think of course it's about people who are, are coders people who are developers gaining those skills but i would love it if you know if you're a lawyer you you know knowing your way around the command line and being able to mung data and and manipulate things and get stuff from the web will make you a better lawyer if you work in you know marketing whatever job you do it's it's the same as being able to use email or use a spreadsheet you know it's it's making a computer do work for you uh, i always love that thing of you know the three qualities of a programmer you know laziness hubris and arrogance impatience i forget but they're all you know negative qualities that you would normally think of as negative but you know just getting the computer to do work for you not wanting to do boring drudge work that's manual you know that's a, a good quality to have i think and 
Yeah. Yep. I, I definitely uh, hear you. I had to Google it myself. The three virtues are laziness, impatience, and hubris. That's the one, impatience, not arrogance. <laughs> but yeah. Well, that's awesome. Can, can I talk to you briefly about writing a book? Of course. Yeah, sure. So, so what, what was the process that you went through with Pragmatic Bookshelf? Uh, so I actually did did it a stupid way that you you shouldn't do. So um, what, you <laughs> could, what you should do is kind of write a chapter and write a kind of outline of what the rest of the book might be, and then you know pitch it to a publisher and take it and say, you know, uh-huh. I've, I've got this idea for a book. Here's you know enough of it so that you know I can write and and it's going to be an interesting subject for a book. What I did was write a book to scratch an itch uh, and just just because I kind of enjoyed it and then got to the (laughs) point where I'd essentially written a complete book and then I thought well you know maybe other people would like to read this maybe this shouldn't just live on a blog or something like that Uh, and I took it to Pragmatic then and the great thing about having a publisher rather than self-publishing is that you get an editor. So I had a wonderful editor called Jacqueline Carter who basically helped me completely destroy the structure of the book that I had written and redo it in a much better structure and narrative and and flow. Uh, And the book is lots better for having gone through that process, but I shouldn't have (laughs) written it before going through that process. Uh, So that was a a learning for me, but I was, you know, I was totally naive. I, I had no idea how this, how this worked. And that's the lovely thing about kind of technical publishing, I guess, you know, if you're a and you know an expert or if you've got knowledge in a particular area and and you can write you're able to um take that and and bring they will help you bring it to the world they will help you tease that out into a a narrative that makes sense um yeah so it was a it was a really interesting process it you know consumed every evening and weekend for about 18 months of my life so uh, i shudder to think what it works out as in terms of number of hours hundreds and hundreds but there's nothing like writing about something to flesh out the corners of of your knowledge and reveal the things that you thought you knew and then right. as soon as you try to explain them you're like hey, well what uh, actually no i have no idea how this really works under the hood and you have to go <laughs> and research and figure it out and uh, actually expand your knowledge same yeah an amazing process i'm i'm very glad i did it but i haven't written another book and there is a reason for that <laughs> it was quite <laughs> quite the slog yeah it makes sense well i don't know if there's anything else that i have that i want to ask so if people want to uh find you maybe they need that branding or marketing work or maybe <laughs> post a uh, blog post about programming somewhere uh, where, where do people find that stuff uh, yeah, so I tweet at Rob Mill, so R-O-B-M-I-L, and I have a very sporadically updated uh, blog at robm.me.uk. And yeah, I, my book is available through through Pragmatic. It's still as good now as it was in November 2015. Let's <laughs> talk about it. But yeah, that's that's my, my the main kind of thing I care about is is getting people to use the tools that they have and not write lots of code, get the computer to work for them, do that kind of quick and dirty programming style to get results quickly and if if people get that from reading my book i will be very pleased nice yeah that's that's something that i've been uh doing and it was something that eric berry from the ruby rogues panel kind of hit me on was i was complaining about all the stuff i was wrangling and he said you're a programmer make the computer do it totally yeah laziness is the virtue yep absolutely 
I'm going to jump in here with a few picks myself. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. So I've been off and on playing with writing a book and the system that I've been using is softcover, softcover.io. So yeah, I am looking to self-publish, but yeah, I, I probably should find an editor. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes. Maybe I'll just pitch it to Pragmatic and see if they want it. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's, it's a terrific system as far as just, you know, building formatting and stuff. You do your writing in Markdown. And then it does all the formatting and it'll spit out PDF and EPUB and, you know, all the formats that you want. So um, anyway, it's, it's a pretty cool system. It's not 100% super friendly to uh, install. You have to go install a handful of other tools. It's not terrible. And if you're a programmer, you're pretty used to a lot of this stuff. But yeah, it's not just a, a one and done kind of setup you know, you, you kind of have to go and, and find all the pieces and put it together. But I really like it. It also exports a web version. So anyway, I'll just, I'll just throw that out there. Something that I've been enjoying lately in this space. And yeah, I, I guess that's it. We asked where people can find you online. And so, yeah, thanks for coming on this show. Thanks for being a guest on Ruby Rogues. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everybody in a week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.